Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our midst. And loving God, I pray that you would help me to communicate your heart to your people today. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It dawned on me as I was preparing for today that today is the last time I will be preaching from this pulpit. And in less than two months, my time in Austin will end. You have been a very important part of our lives over the last three years, and I hate the thought of leaving, especially in a time like this. Honestly, I didn't like you at first. <laughs> Alexis and I started coming here a year before I became an intern, and you were all so different from us, and you were so nice, but nobody really talked to us or invited us into conversation, and it was really hard. But then I started to get to know you and fell in love with you, and you have been a home for us over the last three years, and we have gone through incredible challenges as well as incredible times of joy uh, here with you. Because this is my last time preaching, I'm going to break all the rules this morning. I'm going to veer off from the lectionary a bit. I'm probably going to overshare. I might talk too long. And I'm going to share some things that Cynthia and Stephen probably can't share. It's amazing how life can change from one day to the next. Two weeks ago, I left Austin as a single man, and on March 16th, my life changed in an instant, and I returned to Austin last week as a married man. What a beautiful day it was in Hawaii. It was everything we had envisioned and more. And in times like these, I feel like I'm one of God's favorites. And I know that I am loved by God. But do you know how I really know that I am loved by God? I know I'm loved because I have experienced the discipline of the Lord in my life. 22 years ago, my life changed in an instant. I had been the German national director of an international ministry, and after 15 years of amazing work, in which I was responsible for 200 staff and five operating locations, and my professional life seemed so fulfilling, in an instant it came to an abrupt end. My family was running into murky waters, and within a really short time, my two oldest kids got involved with drugs. They said to me, Dad, you were so busy helping everyone else, but you forgot about us. The police and school officials told us we needed to get our kids out of the quaint North German region we lived in because the kids were being used as drug runners. In a naive last-ditch attempt to save my family, we went on a month-long vacation to Spain I told my office staff that I was not sure what would happen and that I would drive to North Africa if necessary to make sure my kids were safe. We had a good time in Spain and after a month we started the long drive back to Germany and while on the way I could hear the kids 
on the phone in the back of the car plotting their next party. So I said to them, hey, can we talk about the agreements we made in Spain? Their answer, we never made any agreements with you. When we got to Belgium, I phoned my ministry supervisors to ask for their input. And their answer, get on the next plane with the kids and get out of here. I was stunned. You mean just leave? Don't go back and say goodbye to our friends and our staff? Don't wrap things up in a responsible manner? Get on the next plane with your kids and get out of here. So I booked one-way tickets to Colorado, not knowing where we would go or what we would do there, and we landed in a country that had become foreign to us. It was one of the most painful days of my life. Not only did it change my life, it changed the life of my family and the whole ministry. And this event started a 15-year period of the sweet and terrible discipline of the Lord. As you can imagine, there is so much more to the story. But let this suffice for now as I speak to you about the discipline of the Lord and the lessons resulting from that discipline. The first lesson is God knows what, what each of his children need to grow into the new creation we read about in 2 Corinthians today. And God knows what each of his leaders needs. Most of us as leaders work really hard at what we do in service of God and others. But God loves us too much to leave us to our own devices or to leave us as we are. In my years of working in leadership development, I have seen time and again in my own life and in the life of other leaders how we come to the place in our ministry when it's almost as if God says, it's time to go deeper. God sometimes plucks us up out of the spotlight or limelight and plops us down somewhere else and the deeper work of transformation begins for that season. I needed to be plucked up, but I would have never chosen it that way. My heart was good, but I had so many things I needed to learn. I needed to learn how to love my family. I needed to learn how to love myself. I needed to learn that God loved me with or without ministry and that the salvation of the world did not depend on me and so much more. I would not trade the deep lessons I have learned and continue to learn in this place of discipline. And I asked for God's discipline in my life. And when I asked for it, I asked with fear and trembling. What does it mean for those of us who observe and are bystanders in such a process? First of all, it means let God be God in the life of that person. Entrust that person to the Lord and pray prayers of blessing. And be very careful not to judge or gossip, lest you insult the work of God. And be careful not to take offense at what is happening. When I applied for a job in Colorado in a, in a large church there after moving so abruptly, the boss who interviewed me asked me suspiciously, so is it true that you stole money from the organization you led? I was so shocked 
and shaken. I sat there stunned and my mind was racing to try and figure out where, where that came from. As if it wasn't painful enough to have left like we left, on top of that was the pain of false accusations. One of the leaders I had invested so much time and energy in was so hurt by my leaving that he spread rumors about me that reached as far as Colorado. As with all rumors, they can do damage and it takes time for them to be cleared up. But this too was part of my discipline because it was teaching me humility and it was teaching me to surrender to God's love. Second of all, in a time like this, it's an opportunity for, for us to invite God's loving discipline into our own lives. In Paul's letter to the Hebrews, Paul speaks to the Hebrews about the discipline of the Lord. And he says, my son, and I add, my daughters, don't want to leave you out, do not regard lightly or do not despise the discipline or the education and training up, correction and chastisement of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved or laid bare or exposed by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as his children. For what child is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which, you, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons and daughters. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And then finally, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what does God's discipline look like in our lives? Sometimes discipline comes in a direct manner as through a coach driving an athlete, increasing the pressure in training so you are strong in the time of performance. The goal is to perform to the best of your ability and then to win. Growing up, I was a wrestler because my dad was a champion wrestler from Colorado and he was the coach. And I, as his firstborn son, was expected to be a good wrestler. And I was. And he drove us crazy with all that we had to do in preparing. Not just every day, but dieting. We were on diets the whole year around. Sometimes God's discipline comes by God allowing a child to experience the consequences of their actions as in the story of the prodigal son today. I don't know if you ever thought about the fact or asked the question, why did the father give him his inheritance? He asked for it and he gave it. And did you ever ask the question, why did the father not go after him? Why didn't he go looking for him? I never really even thought about it until I was preparing for this sermon, that in a sense, that was God's discipline, to allow the son to take his inheritance and go off and get it out of his system and live the way he was going to live. The father waited 
probably worried and prayed, hoped for the best outcome. And when the son finally returned home, humbled and changed, the father was waiting with outstretched arms, with the same love that he had always had for the son. Sometimes discipline comes in our lives through the things we suffer, whether persecution, natural disaster, or sickness, through things that God does not cause, but are a result of being a human in this world. And God walks through these times with us and shows us who God is and teaching, teaches us God's ways. Many of you in this congregation have experienced deep suffering, whether through your own personal illness, whether through career changes and politics in the institutions, whether through the loss of a loved one that has caused excruciating pain. It is often in this suffering that we let go of our ego and we walk on the path of descent, that is the path of transformation, as Richard Rohr puts it. Darkness, failure, relapse, death, and woundedness are our primary teachers. The path of descent is the path of Jesus that invites us to a cruciform lifestyle that leads to resurrection. Rohr goes on to say, the genius of Jesus' ministry is that he reveals that God uses tragedy, suffering, pain, betrayal, and death itself, not to punish us, but in fact to bring us to God and to our true self, which are frequently a simultaneous discovery. In all three cases, the discipline is painful, but the desired outcome is good. Most importantly, the spirit with which we are being disciplined is one of love and care and concern for our highest well-being. Some of us had abusive fathers who disciplined us out of anger. And so it's hard for us to imagine God's discipline as being loving and caring. But that's how God is. What is the outcome of God's discipline? God's discipline seeks to help us to let go of all the things that keep us from knowing God. It deepens our union with God. And living in union with God becomes unencumbered by all kind of stuff that just doesn't matter. Ram Das says, something in you dies when you bear the unbearable. And it is only in that dark night of the soul that you are prepared to see as God sees and to love as God loves. Secondly, God's discipline seeks to help us to unfold fully as the new creation we already are. The discipline of God helps us to shed the old and continue putting on the new, allowing Christ in us to shine forth. The famous priest who was canonized by Benedict in October 2009 and whose feast day is May 10th saw contracting leprosy as a stepping stone to his own holiness. Vinny and I uh, spent the last two days of our honeymoon in a place called Kalaupapa, which is a very isolated peninsula on the island of Molokai, where Father Damien gave his life and sacrificed his life in the colony of lepers who had been 
cast out of society in shame and criminalized and forced to live in isolation. And Father Damien went there with a call of love in his heart and ended up contracting leprosy and dying there. It was a, a sacred place and you could feel the sacredness of it. And he himself saw this contraction of leprosy as a stepping stone to his own holiness. The Gospels teach us that life is tragic, but then graciously adds that we can, we can survive and will even grow from the tragedies in our lives. This is the great turnaround. It all depends on whether we are willing to see down as up, or as Joseph Campbell put it, where you stumble, there lies your treasure. So as we approach the last weeks of Lent, let us up our game and the intensity of our work, our inner work, by inviting God to work in our lives in a deeper way. In doing this, we are asking to be loved by God, to be transformed. We are asking to grow in understanding and wisdom. We are asking to be able to see God with more clarity and to enjoy God's presence in our lives. It's our choice. It's the choice between being a nice, maybe shallow, maybe crotchety old Christian man or woman, or the choice of going deeper in our faith and our knowledge of God. And I invite you and encourage you to choose the latter. It is a serious prayer that should, be not, not sh that should not be prayed lightly, but rather by those who want to grow in maturity and the knowledge of the Lord. I want to close with a prayer called the Prayer of Abandonment by Brother Charles de Foucault. And I want to invite those of you who, who felt that call to open yourself up to the transforming work of God, the deeper work of God in your heart, to pray this with me as I pray. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence, for you are our Father. Amen. Amen.